Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedian, founder and CEO of Dedian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Christopher Dedian, and today I am so blessed to have Ashley Scorpio, the VP of Partnerships at Hawk Media, which is an award-winning digital marketing firm based out of LA, New York, and Boston. Ashley, how are you doing today? Yes, fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Christopher. Um, Fun fact, we've actually gone fully remote during the pandemic, and we are actually in 28 states and counting across the U.S. That is amazing. And that's actually a new reality for everybody. And it's it's really great to see that big companies are really taking this and thriving, seeing that, oh, wait a minute, this ideology that we had before that everybody needs to be in the same walls could completely be demolished and we go as far as we want. And it creates such accessibilities for talents all around the world. And let's just start off right there. How have you seen your company improve due to that fact? And what have you seen that are some negative points on the fact that you are necessarily remote as a big company uh, such as uh, Hawk Media? Totally. I mean, of course, there's going to be pros and cons. And I would say a lot of this acceleration we saw across business and across even our personal lives was obviously brought to fruition and accelerated because of the pandemic. But, you know, we've had this technology for years and this ability to work successfully remotely. Just there was never such a large scale human or corporate experiment or venture in that way because there was no need or requirement to do so. But of course, things evolved over the course of this uh, public health crisis that we've all been experiencing globally. So I would say there are a number of pandemic pivots that we made. I would say, first and foremost, of course, like most organizations, there was a bit of fear and hesitancy mm-hmm. around what uh, production and communication would look like going from a fully in-person organization with several offices and teams to being fully remote like everyone else. Um, you know, as uh, LA went to its first lockdown in March 2020, um, there was, of course, the thought that it was just an initial lockdown, um, you know, stay at home, mandatory stay at home order, and that we would be back at some point. Um, and of course, that just kept getting pushed further and further. And we've even seen that with some of the corporate tech giants in the Bay Area um, and how they were some of the first to adopt and say, fully remote, um, either forever or for the foreseeable future for the next year, year plus. And then a a number of different companies have also started with their sort of back to work orders. Um, And we've even seen how that's kind of backfired. And there's been a little bit of a backlash. And we've even seen how they've had to continuously adjust as the pandemic continues to uh, do its worst. Like we even saw Google's announcement today about how they're having to push and delay their plans again. So I think um, it was a bit of a, a learning curve, just like I, you know, there's an old adage that um, 
a crisis is sort of equal parts danger and opportunity. So obviously the pandemic in its nature is extremely dangerous and has wreaked havoc and cost so many lives in the economy and jobs and things like that. But it also gave us this opportunity to experiment with this new paradigm shift. And so I would say we actually saw a massive uptick in productivity. Um, and also people have more time to actually put into their, their day, not just professionally, but also personally. So there's also better work-life balance, you know, especially in LA County, traffic is the stuff of nightmares. Uh, some people have extremely, extremely, uh, you know, ridiculous commutes that probably very very few people would willfully sign up for if they could otherwise avoid it. So giving people more time to put back into their day to be productive uh, personally and professionally, I think has been key. So we actually saw this massive uptick in productivity and that's what really opened it up that we thought, wow, this is working, you know, trust, but delegate, right? If you're afraid that people aren't going to do or complete their work, perhaps they shouldn't be part of your team or organization in the first place. So if you can't trust your workforce or your employees to get shit done, which is one of Hawk's company and core values is get shit done. Um, if you can't trust them to do that just because you can't see them or have eyes on them, like this is not kindergarten. We're not here to babysit our colleagues and coworkers. Um, if they're out of sight, out of mind, that's a problem. If you're not hearing from them, you know, obviously there needs to be mutual respect, communication, checking in with each other. So we were actually pleasantly surprised. We saw a massive uptick in productivity despite obviously this, this crisis and this paradigm shift and all the additional stress and trauma that people are dealing with as they work through these, this bizarre, brave new world that we're living in. But I would say that was one of the major pros. And to your point that you alluded to in your question was, we we're actually greatly able to increase our talent density because we were able now to open up to hiring across all these different markets and all these different time zones and accessing even better, broader uh, swaths of talent across industry and across different markets, which has been exciting. I would say the greatest con inversely um, actually has less to do with remote work itself and more to do with the nature of partnerships, which is what I focus on. You know, a lot of people talk about the effects it has had on in-person and live events. And historically, that's a lot of what partnerships is. Mm -hmm. um, you're doing in-person, it's steaks and handshakes. You're doing coffees, dinners, happy hours, you're hosting, they're, you're being hosted, you're going to conferences and trade shows. You know, in an average year um, heading up partnerships, I would preview outside of a pandemic in the before times, I would usually go to at least 30 conferences a year, not inclusive of local meetups and those happy hours, lunches, coffees, dinners, et cetera. So to go from that to nothing and then sort of rebounding a bit in the virtual sense and then also the zoom fatigue that comes with that that has been a little bit of a learning curve alicia that was delicious on delicious you gave so many things over there that we need to unpack so first and foremost i just want to highlight the aspect of companies or when you're in a position of leadership to understand that delegation is trusting the people that you're delegating to. And if you're able to do that, that is great. That means you have great communication. And from there, you're creating it at such a high level. But if you're not, then that means it's not the right people that should be there in itself. So I'm, I'm so, so, so like spot on with that. And I'm so like uh, on board with what you're saying there. And I 100% agree. One downfall is the fact that, listen, 
we're human nature and we love meeting people and shaking hands and so on and so forth and not being there for that presence, unfortunately, is a bit more of a negative. But I do believe there's going to be this hybrid. And once things open up, that's going to be there present as well. Uh, so, so thank you for bringing that up and seeing where that aspect goes. And can you tell me a bit more about what the company does in itself? Like you guys are a marketing digital company. Do you guys work with B2B? Do you guys work with individuals? Do you guys work with influencers? Talk to me a bit about that. All of the above. We are actually, Hawk Media is a full service digital marketing agency and consultancy. We're known as your outsource CMO. Uh, we are consistently ranked among the Inc. 5000 and um, heralded as one of the fastest growing marketing consultancies in the country. Um, you know, we're 200 plus people and growing. We currently have 30 open roles right now. So any marketing uh, professionals, uh, business development partnerships, people uh, you want to send our way, let us know. We're always happy to hear from any amazing prospective uh, candidates that want to join our, our team and uh welcome, get welcomed into the nest, even though it's a virtual nest uh, these days. But basically, yes, absolutely. All of the above, we can support any size of business, individual or organization in their brand and marketing goals. Uh, we excel primarily when it comes to verticals or industries in direct-to-consumer e-commerce. That's really our bread and butter. But the next industry that we work and play the most in, I would say is B2B SaaS actually, especially because we have such a strong uh, West Coast presence before going, you know, fully remote, like I mentioned. So yeah, I would say those are the two key verticals. And when I say full service, I mean, full, full service. You know, you asked influencers. Absolutely. We also have affiliate marketing. We do search, social, SEO, email, content, lifecycle marketing. It could be chatbots. It could be push notifications. It could be SMS marketing, which is hot and trendy right now. Um, so it could be anything and everything. We also do web design and development as well. Um, so if a business or brand is looking to revamp their virtual presence or store, we can do branding, we can do brand guidelines, we can really, we could do packaging design, really, we could do it all. Um, and yeah, we've worked with many different entrepreneurs, we've worked with influencers, we've worked with rappers, we work with all types of different people um, that are, you know, hustling in different ways and creating a brand or a business and, and looking to create a full um leverage our full service capabilities to create a full funnel omni-channel digital marketing strategy. So I mean a one-stop shop, what I understand over here. And that sounds really amazing. And as we know, like as entrepreneurs, nowadays you have to be online, you have to be on social and kind of create your portfolio. So if you are giving a service, giving a product, whatever the case is, people could find you and look at, hey, what does that professionalism look like? And companies like you are extremely important to really bring that in the forefront and bring that mission and vision that an entrepreneur really so your customers can see it. So it's really interesting. And what would be the best way that you guys kind of break through the noise? Because right now, like we're mentioning, there's so much noise with all that. And you kind of mentioned a couple of things from SEOs, from brand awareness, from whatever the case is. What would be your top three tricks right now, currently that are working very well for entrepreneurs to stand out from all of this noise of what's happening with social media and so on? So this is actually a really interesting time right now. And I would say we're seeing one of the biggest upheavals in, in marketing and advertising in the past at least decade, um, especially here in North America. The number one things that a lot of people have probably heard about and should be paying attention to are Apple's changes with app tracking transparency 
and individuals and users on iPhone needing to opt in versus opt out um, to provide their data. Those are key data points and signals that advertisers actually use in particular in retargeting campaigns. So we're seeing a massive drop off in the efficacy of paid digital media spends. Um, so that's something to keep in mind, which is why diversity is so important. And in addition to that, and it's sort of two blows uh, from different angles to the same uh, the same different types of channels and, and channel mix would be, you know, Google has delayed these changes, but similarly, they are going to be removing cookie tracking from Chrome. And so same thing, that's wow. typically the key way that digital marketers and advertisers would cookie and track their users and their web visitors, and of course, retarget them as effectively as possible and with personalization. So if we're seeing a drop-off in efficacy there, that's why this whole omni-channel strategy is more important than ever. First and foremost, what anyone should be doing is testing, test different channels, build, see what works. And for entrepreneurs in particular, there's several things. I would first and foremost turn to your owned and earned channels versus your paid channels and platforms that you've historically had to pay to play in, especially with all the algorithm shifts where you know audiences were getting less than 1% of your audience was getting to see your content once they sort of turned to this ad revenue model, which we've seen across most social media platforms. Um, I would suggest, I would say content is king or queen. I would say having your own on-site blog, having your own podcast, if you're writing a book, um, being consistent and proactive, getting your word and your message out there. I would also say that repurposing. So repurpose your content. If you're going to make a great, highly performing piece, can you publish on your site? Can you publish on a third-party site? Can you get backlinks to it? Can you feature in a newsletter? Can you get it featured in a newsletter? Can you post it on your social channels? You know, what else can you do with this content? Could you take pieces of this content and package it up differently or add more context and create a gated ebook to drive leads or, or capture email if that's what you're looking to do. So, you know, double down on your content efforts and then get the most bang for your buck out of that um, asset that you've created by leveraging it across many different channels in many different ways. I also think that when we're talking about social platforms and content, um, LinkedIn is actually a very content starved platform. So there's actually a lot of opportunity on LinkedIn to get more reach and engagement than you would see on more of the pay to pay platforms like Facebook and Instagram. So I think, um, you know, entrepreneurs should stop sleeping on LinkedIn. I think medium was pretty trendy for a while. And if you don't want to do your own blog on your site, you could consider publishing on medium or creating a Substack newsletter, especially if you want to monetize in that way. Um, I also think one of the biggest things that we're talking about when it comes to lifecycle marketing, you know, email is old hat and it's obviously one of the highest converting digital marketing channels at typically over 30% versus say three on paid social. So if you're not already capturing emails and you're not building out an email list and audience and segmenting appropriately and reaching out to them with consistency and regularity and quality content, you should be doing that. And you should think life cycle, think beyond email, think does it make sense to have a messenger bot perhaps on Facebook, depending what you're doing or what you're trying to achieve? Does it make sense to have a native app? Maybe if you have a Shopify store, you might leverage Tapcart to create one and leverage push notifications in that way. Or beyond that, one of the biggest things that people are talking about is SMS. I mean, if you're capturing email addresses, why not phone numbers? Text has an even quicker, higher response rate and conversion rate than email has historically. So there is just so many owned and earned channels um, that people and entrepreneurs should be taking advantage of. Actually, that was 
I mean, just beyond impressive everything that you mentioned. I'm going to re-listen to all of it because I mean, it's just unreal. The knowledge you just dropped over there and we're going to look through all of it. And I 100% agree on the aspect of you have this main content, break it apart because it's, it's impossible if not just to curate new content, new content, you're just going to get burned. And that's 100% the way that I approach my business. I 100% do my YouTube videos. And then from there, I have a content writer, puts it into a blog, put it in a newsletter. I break it down in uh, with my team in small things for Instagram, like TikTok, whatever the case is. But it starts with this one thing. If not, it's you're just going to get burned. So I love that approach. And if you permit, I would love to shift the conversation towards your past career, which was in politics. You've done a lot of things in the Canadian parliament uh, and you were in that career for several years. Can you please talk to us about that and what you've learned within uh, being in politics and have you transitioned it to the corporate world right now in the marketing world? Talk to me about that because um, as I'm a Canadian as well from Montreal, it truly interests me. Yeah, absolutely. I spent about seven years on Parliament Hill and about 10 years inclusive of work on campaigns uh, in Canadian politics more broadly, uh, primarily focused on federal politics, but also campaigned at the municipal and provincial level as well in Ontario. I am from Ottawa, Ontario, which is, of course, our nation's capital in Canada and this, the federal seat of power at Parliament Hill. So I had the pleasure of working directly for the former prime minister of Canada. I also worked for the large political party in Canada, as well as the Secretary of State um, of Foreign Affairs, International Trade and Sport. I was the longest serving aide to the Parliamentary Secretary for International Trade for about five years. Um, I also worked for several other um, members of cabinet, caucus chairs, committee chairs, um, and so on and so forth. So I've, I've done virtually everything you can do in the political realm on side government for virtually every type of elected official at the federal level. So it was a pretty well-rounded um, experience. And of course, inclusive of campaigns, a lot of what campaigning is, is marketing, it's PR, it's word of mouth, it's outreach, it's digital outreach and what have you. So that's also what I did at the national level, um, focusing on managing community, you know, launching social for the former, um, you know, we don't have first ladies in Canada, as you know, but of course mm -hmm. the prime minister, most prime ministers have a wife or significant other, um, launched a lot of her social channels and her initial foray, got a good number of our government caucus members on different platforms and engaging with Canadians and their constituents and voters. Um, yeah, honestly, I've worked in the public, nonprofit, and private sectors across the course of my career thus far. And a lot of people don't necessarily see the immediate connections between them. But the way I see it, what I've always done in whichever industry role or office I've been in has been storytelling at its core, right? With different types of audiences, with a different type of product or service or even a platform. So if I'm working with an e-commerce brand today or a SaaS company, you know, we might be trying to reach or acquire their target customer or client or consumer for their technology platform or for their apparel brand or what have you. Whereas previously I was doing the same thing, but for politicians with their platforms. And arguably that's a little bit more difficult because um, votes are a little bit more finite than other resources, you know, so I might be able to access and, and acquire a customer for a brand who might be a repeat purchaser um, and who might make a larger order, or have a higher AOV, average order value, or a higher LTV lifetime value as a customer and what have you. And of course, you can have you can definitely build up loyalty among a voting base um, in politics in the political realm, but there's 
only one vote per uh, per eligible voter per cycle, right? And so it's a little harder to get that buy-in and that level of support and actually mobilize voters to get out and vote, which is why GOTV is such a big part of any campaign as well. Um, if you want to think of GOTV as sort of the bottom funnel of the conversion event that you would see in a in a omni-channel marketing funnel. So yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it's sort of the same types of skills. Um, and in addition, you know, I, I ended up in the agency world because I came to an agency in order to work directly with brands and businesses and do that storytelling and do that sort of outreach and do that digital marketing um, and advertising. And then here I am today still on the agency side, but in partnerships. And of course, um, whilst I was in politics, a lot of politics is diplomacy, of course, communication, uh, cultivating and managing high-level relationships. In particular, my public policy areas of expertise are foreign affairs and international trade. So I've had many types of excellent relationships over the years with um, foreign governments, uh, ambassadors and their staff and what have you. And so I really just sort of, again, transferred that over into partnerships where we work with, we actually have government partners, we have nonprofit partners, we have venture partners, we have startup partners, we have referral partners, you know, we have so many different types of partners. And I draw on a lot of that experience. And I know a lot of people refer to those skills as soft skills. I actually take a lot of issue with that because often those soft skills are actually the most difficult to master and they can't really be, they can't necessarily be learned or taught. They kind of, to a degree, there might be an inherent ability or talent. You can certainly coach on it, but it's leadership, communication, collaboration, creativity. You know, it's easier arguably to learn how to do a technical skill and learn X equals Z and this plus this equals that, if then, what have you. Whereas how do you communicate effectively? What is the strategy? Why are we pursuing this partnership? And so I think that's actually what makes people indispensable. Um, and that's kind of the je ne sais quoi that I look for when I'm looking for people in partnerships. And ultimately, if you take a step back and think about it, all of business is partnerships and relationships and networking. Whether or not you have a dedicated uh, individual or team focus on this in your business, as a founder or CEO or entrepreneur, you are probably doing partnerships, even if you don't call it that. Okay. So I love the fact that you mentioned storytelling. So from the government side of things to the corporate side of things, the base of what you're doing is storytelling. You're just doing it through the mediums that you have, which is 100% accurate. As well, the fact that you're you're in partnership it's extremely clear that you're very an uh, eloquent speaker. You have your thoughts, you have your ideas, and they come out very well-formed and well-digestible. But you did mention that this is something that obviously some people have, let's call it charisma, let's call it leadership in a certain sense. And you did say something that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it's not something necessarily teachable, but more coachable. Now unpack that because to be quite honest, I don't necessarily believe that it's something that cannot be learned. Now, granted, it is, I understand what you were saying of like, hey, it's so much easier to understand a skill. One plus one makes two. Granted, this is something more in the gray area, but I do believe it is a skill that can be developed. And if so, either coaching or develop, what would be some of your top tricks that you could teach to people that want to be more charismatic, that want to be more partner driven, that want to be a better leader in itself? Very wide question, but I'm going to kind of let you take it. And I know that you're going to do very well with it. 
Definitely. And I have a lot of faith in people. And I think that if you put your heart into it and your mind to it, there's nothing that you can't learn, Mm -hmm. but that is the number one thing. That's the first step is this will or this desire. And so whether you're an introvert, an ambivert or an extrovert, you might have very different ways that you interact with other people or organizations naturally. So there's, of course, if you look at all these different, whether it's disc assessments or Meyer Briggs or things like this, um, or even predictive index or what have you, and you're, you're looking to sharpen those different skills, there's often the way you are and your self-concept and the way that you have adapted to be. Most people don't have a massive swing between those two things. Um, you may have been extremely adaptable and have gotten to that point based on things that you want to dig into, um, but it's not as likely. It's, it's better to sharpen and hone something that you are naturally skilled at or passionate about because that passion will lead to learning and honing that skill versus something that isn't there. So what I would say is um, you can definitely coach on it. But when I'm at least hiring for partnerships, I look for people that at least legitimately like other people. (laughs) And that seems super basic, um, but that's not everyone. You know, some people would rather look at a spreadsheet all day and not talk to anyone. And that's totally fine. And there are tons of roles that optimize for that and need that. But in partnerships, for example, if you fundamentally don't want to talk to other people, it comes off in the conversation, right? I think authenticity is so important and it's key. And so you ask for specific tips for people who are looking to learn this um, or work on it or try, which I think is a valiant effort. I think it's actually a lot of people who don't have, let's say, people skills, they'll immediately, um, especially if they're a little more uh, introverted, they immediately think, oh, I need to really push myself out of my box and be talkative to be likable and to make connections. And that actually could be a massive downfall because if you uh, talk too much, you actually might inadvertently be putting off other people Mm -hmm. and not holding space for them to join in the conversation and build rapport with you. So I actually think one of the number one low-key tricks is actually to ask questions and listen. Um, especially in the initial time that you're meeting someone. So you can also think about um, how can you ask a question off of what they just said, and then they respond to that question. And then how can you dig deeper and sort of continue down um, sort of the, the, the rabbit hole that way, I would say. Um, Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. There's actually a really great masterclass by Chris Voss that specifically talks about this skill of sort of, you know, in sales, we might call this pain funneling when you're trying to get to the root of someone's pain because you're trying to come up with the best possible solution or proposal for them. But if you're just trying to build rapport in a conversation, really listen and pay attention and ask them and repeat back part of what they said and then ask another question about it and just keep doing that. And you'd be shocked. You know, and you might think, how is that going to work? I'm not saying anything. Doesn't matter. You're listening. Okay. So spot on with everything you said in the last part, essentially, you want to highlight over here and just essentially do exactly what you just said is the active listening part. If you want to be more out there, you want to be more charismatic, you want to be there. Active listening is such an important part of any type of communication. People think that they ask a question and then they prepare the next question, but they're not actually listening and going in depth and connecting with that individual. So active listening and asking great questions. I'm going to add upon, if you permit to what you said, ask questions that are a bit more passion-driven, 
and not necessarily standard. So instead of being like, hey, what do you do? Or how was your day? Ask like, what was the most exciting thing that happened to you today? Who's the most you know, important person you've met in the last month? What is your passion project? Things that really get people to like play and talk within their heart instead of their cerebral mind, you're going to get so much more connected. And you did mention Chris Voss, which I 100% wanted to highlight. Uh, he has a book, Split the Difference, uh, highly suggested as well. So Never thank you for- Never Split the Difference. Never Split the Difference. Yes. Never. Thank you for correcting me. Never yes, Split the Difference. But it's a great resource. And if you're not a reader and you're more of an auditory learner, check out his masterclass. He goes- yeah into each of these concepts really well. But yeah, I mean, I could not agree more with what you're saying. You know, what's the most interesting thing you've read recently? Or to your point, Christopher, what's the best podcast episode you've heard recently? Or like, if there were one podcast I could listen to before I die, which one would it be? Or what's the most exciting thing you learned recently? Right. And you want to shy away from yes or questions that would elicit simple yes or no answers absolutely question that'll be more in depth so you have something to build on absolutely absolutely so i loved everything you said i love the fact that you mentioned you're if you're an extrovert introvert or ambivert somewhere in the middle which i believe everybody is a certain level of of, uh, ambivert in itself and just going gradually towards it so i love that we're talking about this and as the, the show is kind of wrapping up over here Actually, I want to ask you because the show is called the Peak Performance Greatness Show. And I truly believe that everybody has high level of performance. And obviously, you're extremely successful with everything that you've done throughout your life. And for you to be this successful, I'm sure you have rituals, habits, you have certain methodologies that you do every single day to perform at such high levels. Do you mind sharing some of these habits, some of these morning routines? What do you do to really show up at a high level every single day, such as you're showing up on this podcast? I think there are so many different things that are important. I think first and foremost, there's the, you know, that you're sort of the average or the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. Uh, Jim Roth um, is known as uh, Jim Ron is known Jim as. Ron, yeah. And uh, I think that absolutely, I couldn't agree more, but I think that sometimes people overlook their immediate colleagues and their team. And they only think about the five people in their personal lives, whether it's their spouse, their best friend, their parents, their siblings. And honestly, especially in this North American sort of hustle culture, we often find ourselves in, we actually spend most of our lives at work or asleep. Mm -hmm. And so you should actually think about who are those five people that you're also surrounding yourself with at work and how are you showing up for them and how are they showing up for you? And I think it's so important to adapt, um, you know, mutual respect and also a very clear guidelines around like radical candor and transparency with each other um, so that every everyone can show up, work together, collaborate and get shit done. I also think feedback is extremely important. So constantly asking for soliciting feedback and making it safe so that subordinates feel comfortable giving you feedback. Because the only way you're going to get better is if you get feedback from everyone around you. Don't just think about mentors and management. Think about people who can mentor and manage up, right? If you want to be a better manager or leader, I have two one-on-ones per week with every single direct report on my team, even as the team scales, because you make time for the things that are important. And the most important and most valuable asset, in my opinion, in general, is people and the talent and the talent density of the pool that you work with and you've cultivated around you. 
Um, so that's first and foremost, which also brings me to my next point is we often think of the limitation. Oh, there's, there's only 24 hours in a day. No, if you trust, but delegate, there are 24 hours times, however many people that you trust and delegate to in a day to work on the different goals and objectives that you set out together as a team to accomplish. So that is a limiting mindset. And I think we need to scrap that first and foremost. Of course, if you're a solopreneur, it's just you, I get you. But if you want to grow and scale eventually, that's how you do it. And that's how you reach critical mass and scale. The other thing I think, and this is something I also share with the team too, and this this feeds into the feedback loop or the positive feedback cycle is always be... um, maybe analyzing, innovating, and evolving, right? So just because this is the way it's always been done, why? Ask questions, suggest something else, test something else, see it, see if this other way might work better, right? And so I think that's important to think outside the box and just always be, you know, people say always be hustling, definitely, but always be innovating. And it's that, that desire to improve that fuels all of those other different behaviors and habits that lead to that evolution and growth. Once again, so many golden nuggets there. I'm going to do my best over here to highlight a a couple of them. Main one that I popped off that I really loved is delegating the ideology that there's only 24 hours in a day. If you delegate effectively, there's more than 24 hours because people are doing their 24 hours for the common good of the mission and vision of the organization or goal that you're going towards, as well as clarity. I love that you said that and you mentioned have that clarity of, first of all, who are the people you're hanging around with, not only outside your home, but inside the workplace. Because like you mentioned, most of our time in a North American culture, we're going to spend it at work. So who are those, those people around you? So be aware of the people that you're putting around your work and so on and so forth. As well, the innovation is is such an important key to be like, hey, always challenge to status quo, challenge what is the industry standards, what can be different and so on. So by putting all that, there's definitely so many things that just really came up and you highlighted really beautifully. And thank you for that. And one last thing I want to ask over here, you said you were uh, in the parliament with the previous uh, prime minister, right? So it was Mr. Harper, right? Mm-hmm. Were you in any contact with him by chance? Absolutely. I used okay. to actually work directly for his chief of staff. Perfect. Okay. In the Minister's office. So then I have a question with this. What is like one of the best lessons you have learned from him or his chief of staff? I don't know how close you were in that regard. What would you speak to that? I would say there's actually a quote um, from former Prime Minister Stephen Harper, and I believe it was... Um, I, and don't quote me on this, but I believe it's something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, like having hit a wall, the best thing is to not bang your head against it. And that kind of just reflects back with my general core ideology about, you know, innovating and moving forward and looking for a better path or a better way or a better way forward. So I think that's something I always appreciated. I also think that Prime Minister Stephen Harper was often misinterpreted by the public. And a lot of us who got to work directly alongside of him got to see a really warm, charismatic side mm-hmm. that maybe come across through through the TV screen or, or on the news, um, which is something I appreciated a lot. Um, but that also gave me the thought that it's so important um, not only who you are, but the perception of who you are. So it is important to sort of work on and cultivate that and actively cultivate that and lean into it um, appropriately. So that I think is sort of a inferred lesson as well. Okay. That's so interesting. I feel like I could, I could talk for a couple hours just on that, the perception of the people around you towards 
who you are. Obviously, like you said, Prime Minister Harper had a certain personality, which you were a lot more aware of because you saw him on a day-to-day basis or uh, somewhat. And then the perception of the media and people are completely different. So you're saying not only understand who you are, but work on the perception of people, especially if you're in the public eye. So I I really appreciate that. And one last thing over here, I just want to kind of leave this moment to you. Where's the best place that our audience could connect with you, connect with your team, if they want to potentially work with uh, uh, Hawk Media, where would be the best place to connect with you? Absolutely. Everywhere online, really. I mean, if you want to reach out to me directly, it's Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y at Hawk, H-A-W-K-E, media.com. I'm also on, you know, Instagram, Telegram, all the grams, uh, Twitter, Snapchat, everywhere, just at Ashley Scorpio, first name, last name, all together, all one word. So you can find me on any or all of those channels. LinkedIn, always a great place to connect. Like I mentioned, you should always be building your network there um, beyond your inbox, right? It's great to see that those other updates and content from people within your professional network. Um, so yeah, please, I'm happy to hear from anyone and everyone and connect. Ashley, thank you very much for blessing us with your time, with your presence, with your energy. You were definitely very vibrant with everything you were saying. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and hopefully we could have many more in the future. Christopher Dedan here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Fitness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or intrapreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.